Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. How are you today? How are you? I'm doing well. And I'm excited for our guest. Yeah, I'm like already excited. We've been to talking hop in. already with our guest for a few minutes, and this is someone who is a friend of Becca's. And I've been talking to her now for five minutes. I'm already obsessed, Broads. <laughs> already a friend, just too. Already a friend. A friend. Becca. <laughs> this is my friend Kaylee. I don't know if you want your full name in it. We can just keep it at Kaylee. Yeah. Kaylee's fine. <laughs> Hi, Kaylee. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we've been friends for a few years now actually since right off the bachelor yeah Mm -hmm. uh kaylee was like oh i can help you with ad stuff and do some agent stuff and we hopped on the phone and we talked for three hours the first (laughs) time we talked very true you were eating a bowl of cereal in your like little (laughs) apartment with like sweatpants on and you were like sorry i have stains on my sweater and i was like Right there. I was like, this bitch has got it going on. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag relatable content. She's not hopping on the Zoom. Not oh, yeah. with the ring light. You're like, I can do this, girl. Yes. <laughs> She's not fully like glammed out. Yes. We love a and, relatable uh, queen. Inst- instant friends for sure. Kaylee's kind of an instant friend to all people. But mm. um, anyway, yeah, I've as I've gotten to know you over that time. A lot of what we've talked about over the past few years has been racial identity. Um, both of our journeys, journeys. sort of, to un- yeah, to un, yeah, I know, I hate to use that word, but oh, seriously, journey. we both talked with each other a lot about like unpacking internalized racism, and that's actually been like the bulk of our conversations with each other throughout the course of our friendship. And so when we were, Jess and I were trying to figure out like, oh, who do we, we want to have some conversations about like the Asian American experience Mm -hmm. and talk about like racism, particularly towards um, the AAPI community. I was like, oh, you know what? Like Kaylee has just like, I know, I, I just know you have a lot to offer in terms of the conversation and, and I just thought that we would have like a really great chat with each other. Um, yeah. So that's why I was like, let's have her on and here you are. And I'm so happy you're here. Okay, Broad. So we are going to take a quick pause here um, and talk about a few of our sponsors. So here's the thing. It's crazy to look back at how far mobile games have come in such a short amount of time. Like I can very vividly remember freaking out over having Snake on my very first cell phone. Then it was Brick Breaker on my BlackBerry in high school. And that was like so advanced for the time. Now, though, mobile games are next level. My personal favorite Best Fiends has an entire world full of lovable characters. They're so cute. Thousands of levels and they update the content each week. So you never run out of new levels and puzzles. Okay, I am flooded with nostalgia for Brick Breaker. So that was I, I spent I way know. too much time on that. But I have to agree with you. The world of digital games has come a very long way mm-hmm. and I'm pretty happy about that. 
you're a regular regular listener, you already know Jess and I love Best Fiends. We got a competition going with each other. I'm winning as usual. Um, we have competitions with our partners, our siblings. We can't stop. There's literally thousands of different levels to play with more being added each week. So it's great. You always have more to play. Mm-hmm. And what I love most about Best Fiends is you can play as much or as little as you like. It's like not other games where you have to really commit to playing to understand what's mm. going on or how to win. Best Fiends is just really casual. Um, it's the best way to pass the time when you're on a road trip need a quick break during zoom meetings in between some of them best fiends is the perfect way to take a brain break download best fiends free today on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the r best fiends so broads i don't care how old or young you are there's something so satisfying about learning i see it especially now that i'm a mom but man the curiosity of kids is just so amazing to watch sometimes it's hard to keep up with. And that's why I've been loving KiwiCo, the subscription activity box that delivers crates of fun science and art projects every single month. So I always have tons of fun projects on hand to keep my little one learning. Also, sometimes you don't know what's age appropriate, but it's great that KiwiCo like you, so you don't even true. know where your kid's at and then they send you the box oh my and you're gosh. like, oh, this is like perfect for their developmental level. That's completely true. I never yeah. know exactly what, I never what kind of crafts know. to do. Yeah, especially whenever I was a little bit younger, I was like, I'm lost right. here. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm same page. Anyway, we have to talk about also how cool these projects are. We're mm-hmm. not talking like macaroni art, although there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I love me some macaroni art. But these Kiwi projects, KiwiCo projects are insane. Your kids can build a walking robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> learn about weather patterns. They can make flying rockets. The crates are so good. And I'm just as fascinated with what's inside as uh, as my kids are. And KiwiCo provides you with everything you need to complete the crate. So it's super convenient and it's really easy on you. We like to save ours for unexpected downtime, a little rainy day. Mm-hmm. It's so great to know I always have something tucked away that I know my kids will love. Oh my gosh, it's great to bust one of those out when Ember's being a little bit of a tornado queen. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, here, look. And she's so excited. I set all this up for you. <laughs> look, it, it's just it's just me. Thank you, KiwiCo. Uh, my daughter, Ember, is super into showcasing her independence right now too, which is one of the many reasons why we both love KiwiCo Crate so much. The instructions and the activities are hyper-specific to the age group, so she can do all the projects on her own because they're tailored just oh, for cool. her to be able to understand. She looks at the instructions and can do it herself. It's amazing. And it's a huge bonus that on top of fostering creativity and teaching her new subjects, she gets to exercise her little fierce independence. There's no telling what a Kiwi Co. kid can do. You can kickstart curiosity, creation, and innovation in kids today, and you can discover a brighter tomorrow. Get 30% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code chatty. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. And then what I was saying kind of before all of this is that like, obviously, I'm I'm adopted. I was adopted when I was four months old. So my experience has been predominantly in white America. I mean, in my high school, there was three Asian kids and one black girl. And we the other black girl, she was adopted too. So it was like, it was a very bizarre experience for me. And so I can't speak about like fearing for like my grandparents. Like I was at lunch the other day with my friend and she's like, my grandparents had to buy pepper spray. And like, this is just Mm. like a sick and twisted time. I'm so stressed out. And it was like, that is not something that I can relate to, but the bizarre thing is that I looked at my life through a white lens and then Mm -hmm. a lens that I was realizing was (laughs) self-hate. And so I think I have like a lot of insight, like from the 
pressing side and then also the oppressed. And mm-hmm. um, so it's super interesting, but I do not want like, you know, it's, I told my therapist last week when I told her that I was thinking about doing this, that obviously this is like a weighted topic. You don't yeah. really have like a path to follow. I have not listened to a lot of people speak about assault and fetishization mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like I'm, I'm learning all of this right now, like in therapy. And I told her, I was like, I'm so nervous. I'm going to say like the wrong thing. And I, I, I want to be there for my community, but I don't want to hurt them. I, I don't want to hurt the black community talking about my past. And, and she was like, that's, that's the interesting thing, Kaylee. She was like, um, she's like me as a white woman, cause my therapist is white. She's like, I can't tell you when is the right time that you can speak out mm-hmm. about your experience as a person of color in America. She's like, but I will say that this perfectionism that you're scared of, she's like, that is actually like grounded in white supremacy. Hmm. And she's like this whole like Asian black, like feud where it's like, no, you, we're more oppressed than you. And, and you can't say this right. And you're not a person of color and all of this. And then also like the white community, like diminishing our experiences and whatnot. And then I'm scared to say the perfect thing. She's like, that's all grounded and white supremacy to mm. keep you from speaking out. So mm. as soon as she said that, I was like, okay, we'll give it a shot. I'll put a disclaimer at the beginning that like definitely heavy, like talking about sexual assault. Um, and I don't think that I am the voice for the entire Asian community, but oh, yeah. I think that I can speak to some of us. And, and it's, you know, we, I think we all go through similar things, no matter what our background is. Yeah. And I think you've also done just from like me knowing you, I feel like you've done a lot of just self-educating and a lot of learning to where, like, I feel like, like, I don't think I, I don't think I would have you on just knowing you. I don't think I would have you on if you were just talking to your own experience. Like, I think you have also broadened your scope of knowledge to be able to sort of like talk about different things that the Asian community like does, you know, it's like, I get what you're saying though. You're like, I'm not speaking for everyone, but at the same time, I feel like you're very knowledgeable about the experiences that other people have as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, like I, like I said, like, since I'm adopted and have white family, I've had a lot of friends that have reached out when I post activism work and whatnot, that a lot of people in the biracial communities, like will relate to what I'm posting. Cause they might not have like, the interesting thing is, is that I had to educate my parents. <laughs> and so like, they didn't understand like my experience. And then I have a, a gay black friend and he was also adopted and his family is, very far right and they don't think that his experience is valid when he like speaks out about it so him and i kind of connected on that um Mm. so even though his experience is much more traumatic as a gay black man um on the spectrum like we still related in in that realm of like we integrated into white society he was like i was honestly scared Mm. of black people and like that i hated my own race. Like when I was growing up, I thought it was cool to say that I was a self-hating Asian. Like I would make a joke out of it. Like, Oh, so annoying. Like an A being Asian is so annoying. Like I just really wanted to be white. And so I think, um, yeah. Why don't you start there? Why don't you start with telling a little bit about your, about your upbringing and your family and basically like your, your story of your childhood. 
Yeah. So obviously, like I said, like my, my brother's white. So my mom, you know, had my brother and then my parents are both white and my community is in like the middle of nowhere, New York, very, um, small rural farm town. And so growing up in that, like when I was adopted, it was super weird because they told my parents like integrate Kaylee into Korean culture camp. Um, you know, I have pictures in a handbook. Like I, they, they told them to immerse me into Asian culture. And I was like offended. Like Mm -hmm. even in second grade, I was like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I want to be Mary Kay Nashley. (laughs) I don't want to be different. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I sat my parents down. I remember in like third grade and I was like, if you, if we're in America and we're a melting pot, like, why would you make me do Korean culture camp and like learn how to do jujitsu and like all this stuff when like, it has nothing to do with it. Like I'm in America, like you are my parents. And so I really like, was like, get this as far away from me as possible. And I didn't understand like that as an adult, like this was going to fuck me up. So, um, yeah, I just fully integrated into my high school and something the adoption agency actually told my parents was that they were going to get stopped a lot because they had an Asian kid. Like, and I thought it was normal until fast forward last year in therapy when my therapist was like, no, this is a thing that we have to unpack with minority kids with white parents is like, um, similar to like the white saviorism people are like oh my gosh like cute little asian baby cute little black baby so cute and i thought that was normal like literally up until my late 20s i had no idea i thought my brother went through the same thing Mm -hmm. and my mom was like no they actually told us that at the adoption agency that we were going to get a lot of comments like praising us for having you and that you would get a lot of attention because you're a pretty little Asian girl. And so I was like, okay, you know, that was kind of like my adolescence. And then I, <laughs> oh, and also something to bring up too, is that you were also raised in a white Christian community as well, which if I remember correctly has to do with the, um, like the kind of the adoption, like there was mm-hmm. a, that I, I think like when we were like our generation, it was really kind of the first wave of like Christian culture, really, really encouraging international adoption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My family actually wasn't involved in the church when I was younger. That was something that we tackled. Yeah. We tackled later on. My, my dad was infertile and then, um, Oh, I didn't know. They were inspired by people around them. Okay. Okay. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was kind of my experience. And then, and this will all kind of tie in together later, but I, you know, I was like that pudgy girl that didn't get any attention from guys kind of when we were hitting puberty and whatnot. And so I would say not until like high school, like were people giving me any sort of attention, but that was like the strange thing. I kind of thought this like, the lack of like 
people asking me on dates or having a date to prom, I thought that that was all related to like my inner, like fat child. And Mm. and I'm not even saying that in a body shaming way or anything like that, but you know, you grow up feeling being fat shamed and, and you feel like so ugly. But then I, you know, I look back at pictures when I got older and a meme came out last year when it was like, when did you realize that you weren't ugly and you were just a minority in (laughs) white society? And so, um, it, I've still been working on that because I've, I always related my lack of confidence to being young and overweight, but it was just like normal puberty stuff, you know? So everyone really did go through that, but like, um, it's definitely something that like now that I've done all this unpacking that you can see, but, um, you know, I'll kind of touch on the self hate part of when I was younger. Um, wait, did you receive like as a young kid, did you receive any negative attention at all? Like when you were, okay. (laughs) Well, that was the whole time of the Chinese, Japanese eyes and, being called a chink and all of that. And, and then obviously you get the microaggressions of what, what are you like? What kind Mm. of Asian are you? Like, why do your parents look like that? I got called a foreign exchange student when I went to go open my first bank account, even though my mom and I had the same last name. Um, Mm. So it was definitely like, you just never felt like you belonged and I would brush it off. I would make jokes about it. Like, you know, like I remember one time I was at the Chinese buffet in my hometown and I had a similar outfit on as the waitresses and everyone was like, Haley, go pick the tips up at the table and whatever. And it's just like, you just make, you just start making jokes about it at that point. And so, um, yeah, I would say in, in high school, it was like normal bullying, but I was like the token Asian. And I think that I've, uh, kind of blacked out like <laughs> that time because yeah. thank God for Facebook 10 year memories. I can see the things that mm. people wrote to me and you're mm. like, Oh wow. Like even my best friends were like, there's my chinky Asian. I 100%. love you. 20 eyes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, so two of my best friends in junior high, Um, one of them was Japanese and one of them was Italian. And like, we stayed pretty close, like growing up as we got older, but it was really weird. It's really weird to think back on like how we were processing like race and how Mm -hmm. it would come Mm -hmm. through in our, in our relationships with each other. Like we all had nicknames for each other where like we would call my friend, like the Italian sausage, we would call me burrito. And then we would call my friend, we would call my Japanese friend sushi. And Mm -hmm. like, that was like, it. and then we would do the same thing. Like, it's not something I'm proud of at all, but it's the honest to God truth. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you are like internalizing all these messages you're getting from around you without even realizing it. And then you're processing it outwards. And like it's it's kind of scary to think back on some of that stuff. yeah and I think like it was just so accepted I actually remember telling people my freshman year of college like I would go to parties and like as a defense mechanism like because I I had no skills with guys I didn't get attention when I was younger because I was like nobody I did I I realized like I wasn't desirable until like fetishes started taking off right. which was later on in my life and right. so 
um, you know, when I went freshman year of college, I, no one thought I was attractive and I would tell guys at parties like, Oh, my name is sushi just to get like a reaction out of them. Mm-hmm. And, and all of my friends like went along with it too. And, and what uh, that communicates to white people too, when you're meeting them is like, Oh, she's chill. Like she's not going to make a big deal out of, you know, yeah. it's like, She's the cool, you know, she she's a cool minority. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I ate that up. Like my entire like it's so fucked up. I hate talking about this because it's just absolutely mortifying. But you know, we're just gonna lay it all out here and just be honest because I'm sure so many people have like fallen into this and and I think like I think that a lot of people in the white community can also relate to this because we all made mistakes <laughs> and like, I mean, we were not PC when we were growing up, like none of us. And yeah. I think so many people are scared of cancel culture because we're all like, Oh my gosh, like, are we next? Because something <laughs> I wrote like in high school is going right. to, but at the end of the day, like, it's just like, you have to just recognize the harm that you've done. And I've gotten text messages from my friends um, you know, from my, when I was a teenager and they're like, holy crap, Kaylee, like when I think back on some mm. of the stuff we said, I, it is like mortifying, but like, look at how far we've come. Mm. Cause now they're, they're like some of my top friends doing like anti-racist work, but it takes you unpacking why these things were wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why so many people are like against it. Cause there's shame attached to admitting fault Mm -hmm. fault. yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like so I hate I hate talking about it because but you know I was I was talking to Danielle about it the other day um Danielle Malby that was she's one of my best friends here and I you know I was telling her that like because she's like you know like what if what if something comes up like what if I get canceled like and she's like I don't think I've really done anything wrong I was like we've all done stuff wrong Mm -hmm. and 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 it's okay and I and I told her I like it's easy for me right now like to ride this wave where I'm like oh being Asian is cool like oh Mm -hmm. yeah like white people are wrong (laughs) (laughs) it's easy to get on your high horse about that and almost like start pointing fingers Mm -hmm. but I think like for the progress that I've seen in my relationships where people had differing opinions and then I was able to open up with them is if I share, you know, the full picture of like, listen, I, I get it. Like I've been there and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like if you said this in the past, like I'm, it's okay, but like, here's why it was wrong. So take that and then start educating people. Like, Mm -hmm. cause that's like antidote for anti-racism is to be like, this is where I was at. And then I took all of these steps and now I'm here. Like, it's great. Um, but yeah, I look back to the part that's like and of mortifying. course pursuing and pursuing equity too. Right. Of like, yeah. yeah. And I'm educating myself. And now I'm like taking these steps to like level the playing field. Yeah. Yeah. So broads, we're going to take one more quick pause. Um, one thing I've really come to learn in the last few years is that it is really important to make time to prioritize yourself. Like nothing has a more positive trickle down effect on my life than making sure that my mental and emotional health are taken care of. And when I take care of myself, then I'm able to be the best mom, partner, friend to those around me. And I use Talkspace online therapy and broads. I cannot recommend it enough. It has seriously changed 
the way I live my life. I love Talkspace so much. Yeah, and a few episodes ago with Pete Rollins, we were talking about the power in talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Kaylee's been talking about it on this episode mm-hmm. too. And Talkspace does it in all the best ways. For starters, the whole thing is done online. You can even see a therapist the same day that you sign up. And you'll be able to text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist 24-7. It's so convenient. And their encryption technology makes the whole thing super secure. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists in over 40 different specialties like depression, anxiety, trauma, relationship issues, and so much more. And whatever you're dealing with, Talkspace has a professional to help you. Here's the best part. It is a fraction of the cost of traditional in-person therapy because Talkspace believes that everyone should get access to the help they need. You can try it out today. I promise you are not going to regret it. As a listener of Chatty Broads, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use code Chatty to get $100 off of your first month and show support for the show. That's Chatty at Talkspace.com. So Brads, no matter how much you don't want to do certain things in life, there are unfortunately tasks that are just unavoidable, like filing your taxes, going to the DMV, (sighs) passports, for example. There is no getting around those places, unfortunately. But did you know you can get out of going to the post office thanks to stamps.com? Going to the post office is usually such a hassle, but no more, I say. No more. Now you can do everything you would normally need um, to go to the post office for right from your own computer. I had to go to the post office to do the kids' passports, and it reminded me of all the reasons why I have a stamps.com subscription or membership Mm -hmm. or whatever it's called. Whether you're a small business owner that just needs to ship out orders, if you want to mail some good old-fashioned letters, or you're just returning some impulse internet purchases, Uh, me. Stamps.com has you covered. Just use your computer to print official U.S. postage at any time for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. And once you're all finished, all you need to do is schedule a pickup or make a drop off and voila. And we can't leave out the best part, and that's the savings. When you use Stamps.com, you'll get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. These are deals that you just can't get in person, okay? So saving time and saving money? It's not to love. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with our promo code chatty, you get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in chatty. That's stamps.com promo code chatty stamps.com. You never have to go to the post office again. Um. Yeah. So I took so much pride in white acceptance. Like I needed to be best friends with the hottest white girls, Mm -hmm. like the girls that I went to high school with that I was close with. Beautiful, still beautiful. Like I, and it was like the girls that everyone was jealous of. And then when I went to college, like you know, my first friend at my first college was like this beautiful Ukrainian girl that looked like a Victoria's Secret model and all the guys wanted to be with her. And so I just like kept seeking that out. I like the it girl always, I wanted to be my best friend. And I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch. Like that, that will show how ingrained <laughs> and white culture was. And I just like got on my high horse about that because if anything was like the epitome when we were younger of like white hotness and acceptance was, you know, getting scouted to work at Abercrombie. And, um, 
And so then this will kind of dive into the self-hate part of it. Um, my best friend who's Filipino, he texted me the other day and he was like, do you think that like all of this stuff is like new, like that's happening to Asians? Or do you think that like people are just starting to talk about it? Or like, do you think that like white people are as racist towards us as we think they are or, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, so this is why I know (laughs) that it's a huge problem. I like, I hated Asians. Like I, I would say I, I hated myself. I, and I would, I would say that I identified as white. Mm. So when people were like, Oh, like, you know, what are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm white. Like, what does everyone say that you're a Twinkie? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there was like pride in that. And so, um, we lived on the border of Canada. And so there was a lot of people, um, that would travel and like live in Toronto from Asia and then cross the border to shop because it was cheaper. And, you know, they loved Abercrombie. And so like everyone in the store and I worked at American Eagle as well. And it was the same in both stores. So it wasn't just the culture of the stores. They would call them Canadians and like they would hate it. Like mm-hmm. every people in both stores would just hate it mm-hmm. when like the brigade of Canadians would swarm in. And I remember in our headsets at, at um, American Eagle, my boss would scream, Jabberwockies, they're here. And he would be like, Kaylee, we need one egg roll, one lo mein. Yeah, I know. It's I know. <laughs> it's absolutely mortifying. And I remember how annoyed people were that they spoke broken English and like they would come in and they would ask like, "Do you have this in a size S?" Like, really like not bad English. Like they just it is a size S and all of us would like Yeah, do you know how to say size in literally any other language other than English? I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so, um, but I remember how I felt like dealing with them and it's mortifying. Like it makes me like break down inside, like thinking how much like anger I had towards them and like how annoyed I was. Disgust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That like disgust, like, ugh, like I have to go check on this for you and, and like, um, and everyone in the store felt that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, we would mock them. And like, I remember this guy like was like a group of um, Indian people had come in and he's like, oh, hide all the red and orange shirts. We don't want them like smelling like curry. And so it's, (laughs) you know, it was, it was a lot. And so I, you know, I would act just as annoyed dealing with customers as, as everyone else. And, and then I felt better about myself because I was like, I'm not one of these. I'm above them. Right. I'm above them. And so, um, yeah, it was just like really dark. Like when I look back on it, but at the time it was just like normal. Like I just, Yeah. yeah. You know, what's really insidious too, particularly about racism towards Asian people and also just like other it's really weird to say this but like my experience growing up and with my friends 
like it was very obvious that we were like weren't supposed to make jokes about like black people at mm-hmm. least in my particular community i do not want to speak for like cult u.s culture as a whole but in the community i grew up in it was like you don't make you like you don't make jokes like towards black people like my black friends but it was way more acceptable for us to um make fun of racial groups that almost were in closer proximity just visually to white Mm -hmm. people even though they were very obviously like not white and there's something really bizarre and kind of like insidious about that because i mean as you're saying this i'm realizing like how much fucking racist shit i've said and done towards asian people yeah and it's really like, I don't want to say it's crazy, like it's shocking, but it's like, like I said, compared to how I grew up knowing that I wasn't supposed to say these certain things about these certain people groups or racial groups. It's really bizarre how emboldened I felt to speak, say, super derogatory things towards towards Asian people. And it, like my my boyfriend was um um Cambodian and I would like be I remember one time we were drunk at a party and I was like going off on how I hated going to school at UC Irvine because there were so many Asians and I remember he sat me down in the car after and he was like do you know how hurtful like it is for me to hear you talk about people like that that's me like do you even realize like I'm Asian and you're talking about Asians as if they're just these like other people what makes you think you can talk like that and i i just i don't know i don't even remember how i responded at the time i was probably just like you know weaponizing my white female tears just being like oh my god i didn't want to hurt your feelings like uh-huh. but it's just like as you're saying all this i'm sorry i don't want to like add to your ex- i no, this is fine. not about my experience but it it's 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 people have felt up until very recently super okay with being racist towards Asian people. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, Becca, because this might have been before we were close, but I had like a highlight on my Instagram, like Asian problems. And this was just like right before I started therapy. I I was doing this. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like just the common things that I had to deal with, but I was making a joke out of it. It wasn't even activism. And then like people I know who are racist, like would get like a kick out of it. Cause they think it's like funny when it was actually trauma. Like I had yeah. a woman yell at me at a nail salon to get off yeah. my phone and to do my job. And I was like, lady, <laughs> I think I was maybe talking to you when that happened. Like I, that or was, you like, yeah, I talked to you like very shortly after that happened. After, yeah. And then I, you know, obviously have had like, you know, I've been at like events and whatnot for work. And I had like a guy come up and he's like, like putting antennas on his head. And, and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, you look like the girl from Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was like, I don't think I do, but like, thanks. And it, it was just like this constant, like, you know, you're always compared like that. We all look alike. And then I actually had a, a client, like a, a brand client um, that I, you know, I got close to and, and one of the workers was friends with me on Instagram. And um, she justified to me that Asians do all look alike. Mm. And she's like, I lived in Korea. So like, you all have dark hair, you all have dark eyes, you all have tan skin. And I was like, 
yeah, but like then I then but I was like, do you understand that like there are white people who look similar? Like there are, you know, like we could say that Giselle and like Carrie Underwood have blonde hair and white skin and mm-hmm. whatnot, but it it's not like an overarching like idea that all white women look the same. Obviously, now there's those memes that go around as a form of <laughs> activism, but before all of that, like, you know, it wasn't like a stereotype that like, oh, all it was it's always right. black people right. and Asian people look the same. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, Becca, like it's great to hear your side of things because it, it takes people admitting these things they've said, because I've heard it from everybody that yeah, I've been friends with. Yeah. I've heard it from my parents. Like I've heard racist things from multiple people. I've said them like, and in order for there to be any sort of healing with the community mm-hmm. and in myself and in my relationships, we, we do need to say like, Oh God, like this was something I did. And it was freaking awful. Like mm-hmm. when did you start to turn the corner and like realize when did, yeah when did you start doing I'm sorry I'm gonna use the phrase when did you start doing the work the work, <laughs> the work. but for well. real like I know that was within the past three years and I can't remember if there was like a particular catalyst but um I know you and I started having conversations first um about specifically like anti-racism focused with unpacking Mm -hmm. um racism towards black people and i think we were talking about like i think you and i were talking about the book like me and white supremacy this is like probably two or three years ago um but yeah and then when how did you then start looking inwards and realizing things about these things about your own experience i forgot i think that and i don't remember what came first i'm pretty sure so Becca, you were a huge like um, piece in like me starting my anti-racism oh, wow. work, which is like is crazy to think about. And like when my life has been unraveling, like the past three years, my mom was like, did Becca tell you that? <laughs> Just saw that I was so sad. And like she when I was grieving like this years mm. of trauma. And so until my mom did some unpacking of her own, she was like, like I are you crying because of Becca and I'm like well yeah but it's because she just made me open my eyes to things but what so this will be a trigger warning but and this is obviously something that we should cover because there's not a lot of resources for the community Mm. um obviously like sexual assault is rampant in Asian women and so I was assaulted twice um four years apart. And then the second one happened right around when we met. And so I had kind of processed the first one that I was like, I didn't think it would happen again. Um, but I knew that if it did, I would be like fully prepared to like get help because the first time that it happened, I didn't go to the doctor. I literally like, it took me a year to go to the gyno. And I was like, I, I, I was like, I'm falling into a textbook. Like you always say like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to react that way. I'm going to go do the rape kit. I'm going to get tested. I'm going to prosecute. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to do all these things. And I was just like crippled and just convinced myself that because I was a virgin, like I just convinced Mm -hmm. myself like this is what I wanted. And like, maybe this is how sex is because I didn't have any experience in high Mm -hmm. school. And um, 
So I didn't know. I didn't have mm-hmm. sexual experiences to compare it to that were positive. So I waited and, you know, went to the doctor a year later and um, like very traumatic. And it took a lot of time to like realize like what had happened. But fast forward when it happened the second time, I called my family immediately the next day called my best friends, told them, went to the hospital, did the rape kit. And then in that, they assigned me an advocate and I got into therapy at our sexual assault center here. Um, So it's great because they have grants like available to victims. So you're not like, you know, therapy is very expensive and it's been a huge blessing and like a blessing in disguise, honestly, that I was able to go through this journey. But um you know, I was sitting there and, and obviously like the first few sessions, it's very just trauma-based, like sexual assault, trauma-based. And I didn't know where it was going to go. Like Mm -hmm. for the first like few weeks, it was like, am I going to prosecute? What am I going to do? Am I going to write a letter to his family? Do I want to try to get him fired from his job? Like, what do I want to do? Like, you just don't know and you're grieving still. Um, and then as I started opening up to people about it, Cause like this time I was being verbal about sharing my story. Mm-hmm. I would, I like <laughs> my therapist is probably like, Oh, Kaylee, like you're just so you don't know all these things yet. And I'm sitting there and I was like, I had a conversation with my friend who was Asian and she's been assaulted multiple times. And then I met this other girl that was Asian and she, cause I'm identifying as white at this point mm. still. And so I'm like, I don't really know a lot of Asian girls, but they've all been through the same thing. And then over and over again, too. Yeah, over and over again. And and then she and then my therapist goes, yes, Kaylee. And this was the first time I heard myself refer to this. She's like, you're a woman of color. (laughs) And I was like, what? Like, you know, I I didn't hit me like I didn't get it. Like I was like, okay, And she's like you as an Asian woman are more likely to go through this. And she's like, there's so many studies that are opening up about it because it's underreported and whatnot. But, you know, she was like, and that was like the first time that I like started processing it. Cause I was like, wait, you're telling me I was raped because of my race. Like what? Like, cause I'm just processing. I'm thinking it's a millennial thing, which it is. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, a problem for everyone, but it, I went home and I was like, really just like sitting on that. Like she called me a woman of color. Like what in, am I, am I welcome in that <laughs> realm? And, and it just was like, just a, mind twisting experience and then I remember I called you a couple weeks later Becca because what I was like you know I'm like starting to like learn about all of this racism stuff and I'm getting really triggered by my friends who go to church Mm. posting Mm. with black babies Mm. (laughs) in Africa and then putting some sentimental quote underneath and I was like it feels wrong it feels dirty and I'm learning about racism and, and therapy and I don't know why. And you were like, well, have you heard of no white savior? And, was, <laughs> and so. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we started sending a bunch of shit back and forth to each other. Yep. So you're yep. like, 
yo, like read no it saviors. Like I think a lot of it's going to resonate with what you're saying. And so then I started reading all of that. And then I'm like, oh shit, like, whoa. Cause then you're learning about white saviorism and that relates to adoption. And like, you're yep. in yeah. this whole, like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Like, mm. I, it, when I say that, like my life <laughs> was turned upside down, like the last three years, like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I actually remember when we were talking about this too, because one of my, ugh, it's just, it's horrible. One of my girlfriends who is Asian, like she had been before the age of 21, like sexually assaulted two or three times. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think like she had talked to me about it or something, but I had like read some research about like how Asian women in particular yes. are like, subje I don't know. I don't know if it's the you, most. I remember but... you validating like what my therapist had said. Well, and I also remember talking to like ex, like guys I had been hooking up with who in talking about girls that they had hooked up with had said things like, oh, you know, like stereotypes are true, like about some things, you know, like Asian women are more submissive. And like, I remember hearing people talk like that. And I remember you and I having the conversation of like these ideas of like how people are as a people group sexually are going to totally influence the way that men particularly white men interact yeah. with mm -hmm. right with and it's just so like it's so blatant like when you when you put it in those terms it's so blatantly racist like if you're saying that a whole group of people has one sexual tendency that's racism. Yeah. <laughs> that's racism. And that's going to have racist, like that's going to have implications like all racism does of causing immense amount of harm. And like you are the survivor of that racially based harm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know, like I knew about fetishes and I knew like, because I remember and like, and my therapist and I were talking about it last week and she's like, she's like, I can't blame minorities for leaning into fetishization sometimes. Mm. And she's like, because it could be the first time that you're feeling acceptance when, and, and like, Oh, when she said that, I just mm. like broke down. Cause I was like, that was me. <laughs> and I was like, that was me. And I remember when I met my really, I guess, like my first boyfriend in adulthood that I had been on and off with for years. And we live in we live in the South <laughs> and like Nashville. Yes, there's like it's very like divisive lines here and there's not a lot of, you know, Asians walking around here mm -hmm. and then and my ex was from like a rural part of Tennessee and like I found out that his like four or five ex-girlfriends before me were all Asian but you know now like reroo reroo like very scary like danger danger no Red no flag. yeah but back then I remember um my 
he had gone to the gym that I go to and my best friend, he's, he's gay and Filipino also goes to the gym with me. And he, um, was like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that you went out with like this gym hottie. Like, he's like, I've had a crush on him for years. And then, and then like, I kind of like told him like, Oh, like his, his exes are, are Asian or whatever. And he's like, well, good. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, good. Cause then he's not going to leave me for the hot white girl that I have always held up on this pedestal. And mm-hmm. so when I would see on a dating app back in the day, and this was like before my assault, no, before my second one. So it was like, before I had done any unpacking about it, um, it, it felt like a safety net mm-hmm. for me because I always thought of myself as gross and ugly and undesirable. And so if a guy had an Asian fetish, that was my safe space of like, mm. oh, well, he's not going to be like looking for like the blonde, like Instagram model, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, and, and then like in Chiyoko and I would like sit there and be like, yeah, this is great. Like, this is great. Like, he's not going to have eyes for anyone else but you. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And now obviously like, <laughs> like if I go out with anyone, my therapist just like, do we know about their dating history? Like, it's like the mm-hmm. first thing that. Which by the way, is a socially acceptable thing. I, that like, I hear people saying all the time. I've heard friends say of like, oh yeah, you know, you know, Jesse, I, that's not anyone I know. Don't, don't, don't come for Jesse. Um, you know, Jesse, he only dates Asian girls. Like yeah. that's his, that's his thing, you know? And it's, it's like, you're like, ha ha. Yeah. You only dates Asian girls. And it's like, whoa, why yeah, is like, someone oh, I just like what I like? It's just, why is a white guy only dating one kind of why are, people like, group? That is fetish. Yeah. That is fetishization. Like, yeah. I mean, my, sure. Coincidentally, like, yeah. I mean, like I have dated, I have dated more Hispanic guys. I guess that makes more sense since I'm Hispanic. (laughs) I guess that makes more sense, but it's like, I don't know. That's, that's a form of fetish. That's, that's a very normalized form of fetishization. It's like these white guys that only date Asian girls. Well, and I was kind of like, what's the difference? Like, how do I know that it's like, what's safe and what's not? Like, gosh, like trying to get back into dating after all of this becoming woke is just very, like very painful and it's like, you know, I, I was crying to my mom the other day and I was like, I don't, I don't want to get raped again. And I mm. don't like weeding out people as safe or not safe. Like both dudes who assaulted me were Christian. <laughs> so there's that. And then they were both feminist <laughs> and like speaking out about Black Lives Matter and I'm like, okay, I would see that on a dating app and be like, well, you're speaking out about racism. So this must be a Mm. safe space. Right. Mm. But it's not like, so I really have to like, you know, and well, right. And then if go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh no, just in a form of self-preservation, I'm trying to figure out like all of that before there's even a physical encounter for even a freaking Chick-fil-A milkshake. Like, you right, know, it's, of course. Um, right. And then you're, what I was going to say is you're analyzing like, oh, is this, has this guy only dated Asian girls before? That's a mm-hmm. red flag. But then if he hasn't dated any g- Asian girls before, then am I being fetishized because I'm his first time with an Asian girl? Like, yeah. I'm a- it's, yeah, it's just, 
there's no way to like wrap your head around it. And then my ex that was after this one that had all the Asian girlfriends, he had dated, like he was from Ukraine and he had dated like a mixture of just like, obviously like he had dated like black girls, half black girls, Hispanic, like Asian. And, and my therapist was like, that makes more sense. Cause there's just like, he might he's just like people. people who are, you know, have darker features. And now he's with someone who's white and brunette. So mm-hmm. he's dated across the spectrum. But so- the fact that you even have to analyze and be like, what mm-hmm. races yeah. has this person dated before? Do they see like, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that's something that like we as white women have to worry about. Yeah, I in like working through all of this and, you know, there's like no resources. Like I keep asking my therapist, like, is there a group that I can join? Is there mm. is there something I can read? And she's like, um, let me look like, you know, like we're digging, like looking mm. for like progressive churches or progressive like meetups for Asians or like and there's just not a lot. And then as an adoptee, I'm deal. then you can deal with the whole, like, you're not Asian enough to be in our Asian group. And then, but I'm not white. And, and then obviously like white feminism, I, you know, I have like, I was like talking to a friend about it and it was like, (sighs) my white friends are are out here fighting against the pink tax. I get it. Like Mm. 100% definite issue. I'm also trying not to get raped. Like, so. Right. Yeah. The, it just, yeah, having this conversation then, yeah, when you bring up feminism and white feminism in particular, I remember, I specifically remember the moment when I realized the mass, obviously being a woman, yes, but the mass amount of privilege that I had as a white woman that, like you said, I was sitting here thinking about things like the pink tax, which, yes, isn't good. But on a spectrum, all of a sudden it came like the 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 concept of it. I remember when it hit me and being like this mass mass amount of privilege that I have that I'm not recognizing in some of not only the women of color around me, but especially like my friends who are people of color Mm -hmm. that I'm sitting here lecturing about whatever. (laughs) And I'm like, hold on, hold, hold your fucking role for a second, girl. Yeah. And, and I never, you know, I never want to diminish any women, women's experience. Like it's like, um, they always say like, if something's someone's 10, that's their personal 10. So if, you know, sexual assault is our 10, but the pink tax is, someone else's 10, then that, you know, it is what it is. So I don't, I never want to invalidate anyone. Cause I do think that everything that all of these social justice groups are fighting for, like I, there's valid validity in everything. Right, um, of course. And our experiences are all relative to our yeah, own experience. It's, yeah. It's all lumped into the same thing, but it, you know, it's been hard finding just community. Like, cause mm-hmm. you know, when, like I told Becca, like during all the black lives matter stuff, like, I was in so much pain during that Mm. because you just see people invalidating racism. And Mm. I'm like, if this person is invalidating and saying George Floyd deserved to die, then they're definitely not going to believe me. Right. (laughs) And so it just felt like my world was crashing down because every single time I logged into something and I guess I should touch base on the fact that I, I, became part of the church when I was in college because I ended up going to a Christian college down here. And so 
my community was kind of like that Southern Christian hipster, cool group influencer (laughs) type group. And we're doing life together. Yeah, we yes, we were going through storms together. (laughs) And so um, when I started speaking out about all of this stuff with Black Lives Matter, I felt like it it was like just the most bizarre thing because I was like, I told my therapist, I was like, where's my like refuge? Like, I know I can't diminish what's going on there because I understand the black Mm. experience is way shittier. And Mm. like, I, and if anything, like I would say, like, I want to be an advocate for this because I feel like I, like I said, like I can speak to knowing racism is real because I have been the oppressor Mm -hmm. of the black community Mm. as well. Mm. And that's a whole other thing that we can get into with, with my community, you know, using our white acceptance, you know, to be the oppressor. But in that it's like, I couldn't find refuge with like a lot of like my Asian friends because they just want like this white acceptance. And like, you know, I've seen it in bachelor nation, like they, they don't want to speak out because they don't want to lose followers. So they're just throwing the pretty George Floyd graphic on their story. And like, And it's like, I know you guys have experienced this. So Mm. like, why are you not being advocates? And um, so it's like, I couldn't find refuge there with the people who related to me because they just wanted to pass off with the white community. And then, you know, the Christian community was like, just pray about it. And I was like, Mm. cool, (laughs) you know? And so um, just finding the support for these causes I I've had to make my own and I've had to have my own conversations and um, going back to the assault thing, this was crazy, but my, my best friend went on a retreat for the medical community and she was like, Hey, my friend was assaulted. And she's like, is it okay if I tell her that she can reach out to you at any point? Cause I know you speak a lot about it. And I was like, sure. Like, Um, yeah, I never heard from her Mm. fast forward, like two or three years later, I'm in New York city and we're together. And then I meet this friend of a friend like randomly. And it's this Asian girl who's like this beautiful beaming dermatologist. And, and then I had my other Asian friend that lives in New York city out with us. And we started talking about being Asian and being on dating apps and whatnot. And I mentioned something about rape. And then this girl was like, this friend of a friend was like, wait, did you just say you were raped? And I was like, yeah, twice. And she's like, it's been three times for me. Mm. And then I found out it was that she was the friend from the retreat. Mm. And I was like, and I literally just was like, oh my God, I didn't know you were Asian. Mm. Like, I didn't, she didn't say that. Like, I didn't, we didn't know like at that point that it was a thing. And, and then I was like, oh my God, like my heart just sank. Cause it was just like all the pieces Mm. were coming together. Well, my friend that I was there with the, my other friend that lives in New York city, um, she was like, you know, I haven't dated a lot and I've had mainly long-term relationships. So I've been lucky that it hasn't happened to me. And she was my only friend that was Asian and not assaulted And then she contacted me this Christmas and she's like, I don't want to bother you, but it happened to me. And I just like, just was, I guess at home with my dad and just like, I just lost it. Cause it's like, 
I just, every single time I meet someone like, oh, you know, I'm super verbal about it. And, and then, you know, it's, it's helping my, you know, friends come forward, but it's like, I'm like, are my friends like sitting ducks? Like, I hate this, you know, it, it and, um, every single time I meet another Asian girl, it's like, our story is exactly the same. They mm. say the same things. Um, and so anytime anyone tries to validate me, I'm like, can you explain to me why 100% of the Asian girls that I know mm. have been assaulted? And that when we compare stories as much as we can, because nobody likes to relive it, the few statements that I hear that the guy said to them is what they said to me too. The same sentiment. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to (laughs) go from there, but, um, it's, you know, Becca, you've seen like people try to invalidate it and. Oh yeah. Again, with bachelor nation, (laughs) even, you know, I remember like us talking about like Garrett P going at people in his Instagram comments, just being like, oh yeah, you weren't raped, like prove it, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh my God, if like, there are people who in in America still think that women, like white women are just making up that they get sexually assaulted. Like, I'm sure it feels hopeless to be like, how are people even going to believe that like, culture's fetishization of me is like we, I am yeah I, well I, I remember I posted something about Black Lives Matter and which elicited Garrett to privately text oh, me yeah. about his distaste for my story on my Instagram and I had posted that and then he texted me at like two in the morning and was like how dare you post that like you're the racist and he's like in enough with this fetishization bullshit and he's like you straight up yeah and he was like you made this whole movement about you and like fetish asian fetishization and like i had already been speaking out about asian racism before black lives matter started to take the stage again like because probably a year before because that's when i started therapy sure and so you know, I had been posting that all along. I wasn't taking the stage from Black Lives Matter. I was saying, these are my experiences. This is how I know that Black voices are telling the truth because as a minority, that's often white accepted. This Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. what I have gone through. So I can't imagine what they are going through. But, you know, I got that message from him. I mean, convulsing. Like, it was the, some of, I the pain (laughs) that that caused me was like unreal. Like I, and I don't give a shit about him, (laughs) you know, and he's not my friend. He was dating my friend. And so I'm thinking like I was shaking and like, I couldn't breathe. And like, my arms were just like trembling and it's violence. Like it's absolutely. And, um, and I remember I had another guy that I had matched with on a dating app that I didn't want to go out with because he gave me uncomfy vibes Mm -hmm. and he had found me on Instagram and like would always message me and I would not, I would ignore it and whatever. And then he was like, fetishization isn't real. Like 
okay, so guys like Asians, like what's the problem with that? And like, it just, you know, I'm like, what do you get out of sending Mm -hmm. this to me? (laughs) What, what benefit of playing devil's advocate do you get out of saying that I'm not fetishized when you can Google Asian women versus Googling white women. And I've done it and I made my mom do it to educate her because she didn't understand any of this. And you Google white women and it's um, stock images, like white woman secretary, white woman walking dog. You Google Asian and it's like hot, horny Asians ready for you. Asian brides, blah, blah, blah. Like, so that right there is just proof that our society and Western culture, that's what is an overarching theme for our people. Yeah. And so I feel like just to bring it into like a broader scope, like the smallest, the, you know, the smallest, smaller examples, like this all feeds into a narrative about a people group. And when we have a narrative about a people group, that's going to affect in from the smallest ways to the biggest ways and how we interact Mm -hmm. with those people in our daily lives, just everything I mean, a lot of it, it's been going around on the internet right now, but you know, you watch like breakfast, uh, breakfast with Tiffany, breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh yeah. yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's and you have Mickey Rooney in big buck teeth screaming down from like the stairs, like using a fake Asian accent. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and that's like funny. And there's been stuff like that, like all the time, just like very, from that just like very blatant mockery all the way to like, you know, if you're looking up Asian porn with Asian women on any mainstream website, it's a lot of times going to be like this submissive trope, mm-hmm. um, this, you know, the, the depiction of a, a Asian woman being powerless to their sexual partner. I mean, it's like all of this stuff plays into everyone's psyche and Mm -hmm. like it's so deeply I mean I'm I've dealt with this like my entire life and it's a lot for me to process Mm -hmm. I don't I I still have trouble explaining it to people like because um you know, I was asking my therapist, um, cause like, you know, some of my guy friends are like more immersed in culture and they're like, I want to do the work. Like, I want to know like why I am more attracted to Asian women or like Latino women or whatever, but they're mm-hmm. willing to like unpack like why. And, and then I, I was kind of thinking about like, cause like, um, you guys had Alex on who talks about like disabled bodies and, mm-hmm. and sexuality and like, I would fear that a dude meeting her on a dating app could be fetishizing her. Like, just like, cause I'm triggered by that. And you just don't know. Cause it's not accepted yet, like across society. And so I told my therapist, like, where is the bridge here? Like, how would we, how will we know when she's safe? I'm safe. Like, you know, and she was like, if you were to go to a porn site and you search a position, like, doggy style (laughs) like it's gonna come up as like white 
or, you know, whatever. And then she's like, you'd have to search. Like, she's like, when there is equality, you'll see all races, disabled, able-bodied. Not specific names for certain types of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like, so she's like, when we finally bridge that gap where fetishes weren't taking place, Mm. it would be, you would see everything across the board that, you know, is, is accepted when you would just search a generic term. Well, the fact that there is that it's like being a person of color or uh, having a a disabled body is considered a fetish. And we're not talking about like, we're not talking about bondage. That's a category is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like black women are a category. Asian women yeah, are, a category. Yeah, are a category. Yeah, yeah. So that's like, that's how she had to like lay it out to me because I still have problems processing it. Like, yes. and then this is going back to what I was telling you guys with childhood of people saying, oh my gosh, you're so cute. Oh my gosh, you're cute little Asian baby. She's like, it haunts you guys mm. from adolescence until adulthood because you're like, an object you're this cute little asian that becomes the sexual object in adulthood (sighs) and so it's you know it's just it's crazy like because i like i didn't realize i was getting stopped because of that i didn't realize that i was getting raped because of it like and and it's just (sighs) and there's so many there's so many subtleties too like you and i have also talked about this like I hate to bring it up, but like, what's that? This is a great example of something that people don't think of. This is subtle. This is has subtle racist roots. The company where you can adopt a dog from Korea. Oh, yeah. oh I didn't know that. Bunnies, bunnies, <laughs> buddies. No, all of the Bachelor people do it. Some of who I know and love. Okay, there's a there's a know that that was okay. Listen, so there's a group called Bunnies Buddies, and they save dogs from the slaughterhouse in Korea. Okay, now look. To me, if you are a vegan, you're a hardcore animal rights activist. Okay, you know there are people out there in the U.S. who are like. (sighs) stopping you know you know standing their ground so that cows don't get murdered and all that then to me i'm like okay that's fine but i see all these bachelor people colton let's use colton for example (laughs) who even who even knows what colton's doing right now so we'll use colton for example he's not a vegan he's eating burgers he's eating chickens cows pigs who have the same mental capacity as a dog and yeah. yet he is paying $4,000 or whatever to adopt one of these dogs because of the disgusting slaughterhouses that slaughter dogs in Korea. That's a cultural thing. Like, yeah. dogs are not inherently more valuable animals than a pig. Than, than a pig. Yeah. And in Asian culture, that's just a cultural difference. In the United States, we have dogs as pets, so... We wouldn't eat them, but we have no problem torturing and killing cows and pigs. Right. But yet these people who are not like animal rights activists or not vegans or whatever in the U.S. are saying like this is so disgusting. That is that is an example of like I wouldn't I I think the terminology is not quite correct. I wouldn't say that that's necessarily racist, but you've got to understand how when you're saying that like this, you're demonizing a culture 
for yeah. a practice that you basically yeah. do the same shit. That's all related. That's all rooted down in racism. It's like cultural intolerance. Like that's yeah. what I like. Or like, xenophobia, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's because like why was I accepted in my retail jobs to a degree? Like obviously I had like the microaggressions and like the people making Asian jokes or whatever, but they weren't inherently annoyed by me, mm. right? What you know, versus like the customers that would come in that had, you know, a language barrier. But then kind of what what started connecting the dots for me um as an adult was like, I, you know, I have these two friends from Ukraine that I met from my ex. Beautiful humans, like literally like uh, whenever like they meet someone new in my friend group they're like dear god like when did you become friends with greek gods because they're just <laughs> like these beautiful humans well they had like a huge language barrier when i met them because they had just moved uh. here and then you know i have my indian friends here and mm-hmm. i shit you not like we went out for a night on broadway i hate to admit that out loud but <laughs> <laughs> went out for a night on broadway and we're ubering home because they had friends in town that um my friend raj had met in college so you know they were all indian and then me and then my friend um is half black so you know we were brown across the board. So someone that's not paying close attention, like we kind of all blended together and we get in the car and the guy was like, are y'all terrorists? Yeah. He's like, are you like, are you terrorists? And he kept saying, and then he was like, oh, yo, she ain't a terrorist. And then he's like, yo, do you got any loaming for me? Um, and whatever. And, and, and then, and then also what I noticed hanging out with that group is if, Andre and Yulia or my European friends that have like thick accents, desirable accent. It's like, ooh, cute, hot. Yes. Like, wow, where are you from? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. this is great. Like, mm-hmm. and then when I would go out with my Mysterious. Indian friends, yeah. yeah. Um, they would be like shorter. Like, if like obviously they speak English great, they're doctors. <laughs> but if they were like just asking a common question like which do you prefer a common question when you go to a restaurant like the I could just tell that the servers were more aggravated with their question and that is not something that they would recognize it's because I've been with my white influencer friends sure and then I've been with my cultural friends and then I'm like that middle person so So that's why I think that it's interesting with my experience of being in white culture and then kind of branching out of it, like into groups I was more comfortable as I got older, I could see that variance. Yeah, no, I and and when when you say that, I'm like, oh, I've had more way more patience for European Mm -hmm. people who can't speak English. One hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Without a doubt. Like, (laughs) I'm even thinking about just like bringing it to current times right now with the coronavirus i think about how many like how depending on where something comes out of it becomes a a villainous people group to people who eat bats exactly to 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 white individuals so you know i'm sorry but you have to wonder if the coronavirus did come out of let's just say a sweden for instance would there be this specific 
I'm going to put in Swedish violence against Swedish people. No. Yeah. No. Because they're not because white people aren't othered. Right. Okay. This is this goes hand in hand with what you were just saying. There was an NPR episode I listened to a long ass time ago, and they were talking about how there was a camp in the South that um, like it was a it was a camp for like not like Nazis like um, it was like it was a POW camp. It was a POW. That's what it was. A POW camp in the South um, during World War Two that had Nazis in it. And they studied how this camp, after like three years, began to like integrate into the town. Like they started, they were giving these POWs freedoms. Like eventually, some of them even ended up marrying the girls in the town. And eventually it was like they were, they became a part, these Nazis became a part of this community, this Southern community. Mm. At the same time in history, Mm. we made a law that all Japanese people, yeah. Didn't matter if they were first generation. Second, didn't matter if their family had been there for 200 years. All Japanese people had to be put in a camp. They yeah. had to leave their jobs their Sometimes they were professors at universities, their their proper, their businesses, everything in the country that they were citizens of. Like that's that's other that's othering that is vi- you know violence towards someone that looks different uh, different. Yep. Like, well, and like that is just my best friends down here. She's um half Italian, half Japanese, and her grandparents were in the Japanese. They were part of the Japanese Holocaust, and like who learned about that in high school? I didn't. I didn't. I learned know. about it in college, but yeah, yeah. Don't learn anything about contemporary Asian culture. Yeah, there's just, and I just think that there's, or there, any, like, yeah. what Jess was saying, like a in insensitivity to the culture because, like, I don't know why, like, why is it that, like, someone comes over from France and then they're, like, it's, like, glamorous and whatnot, <laughs> but then someone comes over from Asia and it's, like, you know, and, and like, my best friend, Chioko, he, the you know, he's dated in the LGBTQ community. And he was like, the amount of comments that I got, like, he's Mm. like, I noticed that my community, like our community started being accepted, like, just like two years ago, because he's like, people were not wanting to go out with me, like in college. And he's like, but the comments on like, my dick size, and then he's like, and then my size in general, because he's, He's mm-hmm. rather tall. And then he's like, oh, wow, you're big. Like they're thinking like walking into meeting him that he's going to be this like t- petite little guy. Um, so like him and I have spoke about that. And then also he's an actor. And so we were kind of talking the other day because I was like, are you getting more auditions now for like varying things now that people are trying to be woke in casting? And right. he said, yeah, like in the past, like all he would get cast for is nerd, scientist, doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he wasn't nerdy enough because he was like, he, we were saying that you either have to be like super hot to be like an Asian celebrity or you had to be like really nerdy and fit that stereotype. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I'm in the middle and there's like nothing for me other than commercials. Like there's no Paul Rudd of like the Asian community. Right. It's like we have Henry Golding and freaking Ross Butler who are like 
a genetic miracle. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, so it's still like, we're still like, I feel like constantly in our community, like we have to be made palatable Mm. for people to accept us. And that's kind of like, it's just going to be interesting with like the spite now and the stop Asian hate, if it's going to be what it's going to turn into. Cause like I said, like I have friends in the Asian community who don't think that we really face racism because they want that white acceptance and they, or they stay silent. And I, I hate judging people for staying silent because maybe they have trauma that they don't want to unpack. Like I, I didn't want to post about it, frankly, when it started, I was like, I've done this for freaking years now. And I don't want to post this graphic just to again also suddenly people are going to acknowledge my experience now now that like everyone's talking about it when people were trying to invalidate me for the you know past however long i've been talking about it i imagine that's super frustrating too to see some people who were attempting to invalidate your experience then like reposting and you know yeah and i'm sure that that's very similar to like how people felt during black lives matter too because i'm like oh like cool you posted this really pretty infographic like great like are you really taking the time to understand like the harm that was caused and and like the deep-rooted sentiments that are like society holds towards Asians like okay like someone shouldn't call me chinky (laughs) great like but is that like the understanding like oh you shouldn't cough on me like I got coughed on the first week of COVID when I was walking down the street like oh that's bad or gosh, should we reference the billboard? Oh my God. There's, yeah, I was driving here today, literally, and saw a billboard on the highway, on the freeway, highway, freeway, I don't know. And it says, I'm like, I'd never hit your grandma. Hashtag stop Asian hate. I'm like, (sighs) one, who paid for this? Because what yeah. a way, like who allowed this? Oh, two, who, who like, signed off on is this? this? like a joke? I'd never hate your grandma. Hashtag stop Asian hate. And the, honestly, that's what, I, I wonder if you have thought about this or felt this way. Sometimes it does feel like we're calling attention to like the biggest and baddest and most obvious mm-hmm yeah things yeah, that happen no, do you know I mean, what i mean like it, you're like oh my a- god i would never push or down and a uh, korean elder like <laughs> i would never do yeah, that so i'm obviously not racist because i would never physically harm someone i wouldn't punch your grandma asian girlfriends like yeah exactly, yeah, right. exactly. or he only dates asian girls right exactly he only dates asian girls yeah mm-hmm. it's i think that yeah it's like such a complex issue because like i said like in the beginning like we're both the oppressed and the oppressor. So it's Mm. like drawing attention to all of the stuff is just so difficult because so many people can, I easily could have kept going on in life with blinders on. Mm. And I could have just thought that the cards that I was dealt, I just had just two bad experiences and women all over like deal with assault and, and whatnot. But it was like the conversations that I was seeking out to have that was like, oh shit, there's a problem. Cause there's nothing, there was nothing for me to like, no resources. Like even at our sexual assault center here, there were no resources for Hispanic and Asian women. Mm. Like they, my therapist said, most of the girls here are 
people of color. Um, but there's just like not a lot for us to like a lot of places for us to gather and whatnot. So it's just like, where do we even start? Cause it's microaggressions. Like it's, and yeah, then also we still need to be held accountable for the harm that we've caused. <laughs> so then, um, I don't know if I said this in the beginning or not. I said the, like the perfectionism thing, like that mm-hmm. the yeah. perfectionism mm-hmm. is grounded in that. So we're turning like, you know, minority groups all, you know, where it's like the Spider-Man meme where we're all like freaking like, no, you're racist towards us. No, you're racist towards us. And it's right. like, no, but like, where is all of this stemming from? At the end of the day, it's all grounded in like white supremacy because we're sure. having the model minority mm, yeah. myth thrown on us. So then that angers, you know, other groups, which I get because like we easily can fall. Like I'm so triggered now <laughs> watching like other Asian girls, like, blend with white society they have like the hot white boyfriend and they're just going on their merry way in life and so it's like i get it like i get why other groups like right and can you fault and also like but also yeah it's like can you fault someone for trying to survive like in a society that wants uh and i'm not saying that to you directly but just like in general can you fault someone for trying to you know survive and thrive in a culture that secretly hates you or not so secretly hates you you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's just i feel like i really appreciate you coming on yeah. and sharing all this because i think that so many people will be able to relate to your experience and not only your experience i mean obviously we wanted you to come on and talk about your experience being an asian woman living in america um and being a transracial adoptee is it transracial or interracial i don't know I don't know. Regardless, you have white parents and you're not white. Um, (gasps) And, but I don't know. I feel like everything that you've spoken to, a lot of people will be able to relate to about internalized hatred and about unpacking trauma. And I just think, I just think this conversation will be um, really healing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so just thank you so much for coming on and like sharing so vulnerably and honestly, seriously, thank you so much. Also, you know, just for then all of our listeners who are white and I'm saying this from my own place, listening to you, it's, I'm so grateful that you're willing to share because it's a necessary reminder for myself when you're talking, especially about your experience um, being an Asian woman and then also then with like BLM now happening and then that Mm -hmm. dynamic to go, hey, as a white individual, it is my absolute responsibility to be the one who needs to be so vocal right now about speaking up on these issues so that there's not this feeling when you're having these conversations talking about some of your friends who... um, are struggling because of the internalized Mm -hmm. racism and it's all caused from white supremacy. It's like, okay, so I need to be vocal. It's necessary for me to be vocal and not be, I've noticed this so much in bachelor nation when, um, any sort of racist act is brought up in the media that all of a sudden everyone's eyes go to all the people of color and are like, why aren't you saying something? Uh, And it's like, excuse me. This is what a person of color is having to experience on a daily basis. And has been traumatized. And has been traumatized. 
why in the world is it their responsibility to be the one speaking out against this? It's yeah. my responsibility as a white person. And it feels like, you know, when all this stuff started happening and I, I saw the Asian graphics rolling around, I was like, I just feel like I'm shouting into space. Like, I'm like, I'm traumatized. I've had yeah. trauma. <laughs> and you're like, listen to me. And it's it becomes less of like educating versus like me like being vulnerable. And like something I kind of learned is like being vulnerable, like it, it could cause more pain. Like I said, like that text that Garrett sent me, like it instilled more trauma in me because mm. like assault sucks. And then your biggest fear after the assault is like people not believing you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like in that, like, if like Mike Johnson, like sharing like his nightmare, like on Twitter and whatnot, like that's like a very vulnerable thing to share with the mm -hmm. world. And then you have people that are just going to diminish that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when the minorities are being called to speak out, it's kind of like, unless they are making the platform for that and, and wanting to, it's, it's their choice, you know, mm -hmm. and it really should be like the majority of the contestants who have been privileged, you know, and yes. privileged on the show and off the show to be standing up for their brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And like, I feel like, you know, branching off of that, something I, I feel like we should just like reference like the Taylor Nolan thing. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause like, that was like extremely crazy, <laughs> painful. Jess, I listened to the podcast with like your experience and how you were like, I don't want to make this about myself, but you should have because you were, you know, involved in that. I was involved in that back with the three of us were mm -hmm. all involved in it. And I think that in a community of like, especially your listeners, I feel like they overlap with hers of people who were probably using her as a resource. Um, Marsh, yeah. And so looking to her to help with the work and stuff, and then having all of this stuff come out without an apology, like it's so damaging. And mm -hmm. obviously she hurt my community in that as well, in multiple levels. Um, and, you know, that first apology that came out, she spoke so much about self-hate and, you know, I had so many people message me about it. Like, what do you think? Like, and I don't think it's like, you know, initially, like, I think everyone's gut response was like, oh, well, she's done so much work. So it's, it's not like, you know, we don't want to like judge her for it but like let's see like I'm sure apology is gonna be great <laughs> and whatever and then like the more that I sat on it mm -hmm. I was like this really bothers me like it really like because I'm someone who has unpacked that self-hate and it is mortifying to share mm -hmm. like it is it's absolutely mortifying to say the harm that you've caused people like I you know I, I had my friend from Abercrombie <laughs> message me and she had said like, oh my God, can you remember like back in work? Because we had, we did have like, our staff was diverse because they had to, because they were sued. So we mm -hmm. did have like a bunch of black people working with us and Asian and, and whatnot. And, um, like 
we would have like a translation <laughs> to like translate what they were saying to like white speak and whatever. And she's like, oh my gosh, I like, can't believe that um, we did that. It's, it's so embarrassing. And like, I mocked like other groups because like I did hate myself mm-hmm. and I talk about that like so much like why I know racism is real is because I was racist I did it, yeah. why I know racism is real is because I wanted white acceptance so bad that I dragged mm-hmm. people who looked like me every yeah and dragged anyone who wasn't white or right yeah and so you know I just really feel for you know if people want to forgive for that they are welcome to I think it's like it's such a gray area with everything going on with that but like I really wish she spoke about the self-hate instead of just being like well that was me like in college and it's like well why don't you share your journey of how like it caught it it spiraled into anti-racism work because it absolutely can't it absolutely can't it Mm -hmm. was me um, and I'm sure that well, especially she has, if, especially if there's the, especially if there's the narrative of that's the reason why I didn't take a leap. But yeah, I just, you know, I think that a lot of people can make meaningful journeys sharing the harm that they have caused and, and then th- how they overcame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that like one thing I really appreciate about you in general is like yeah. your humility and your willingness to be like, dude, I do not have all the answers. And like, here's all the ways that I've fucked up, but also like humility because, you know, is, you got to have like two sides of the coin, right? You can't just like self like flagellate yourself and just be like I am stupid and I hate you know minorities and like I feel so bad about that like you have to do the other side of it too which is like and because of that like here is like how I've educated myself and here's how I'm learning and here's how I'm like actively working to try to like undo Mm -hmm. some of that harm that I myself have taken part of but like you got to have like both you have to you yeah. also have to have humility to be like mm-hmm. i am imperfect and i fuck up all the time here's me fucking up right now and you know and because i'm not perfect i'm not going to hold everyone else to the standard of being perfect right yeah yeah that's like that's the main thing like but you know like While i said still I acknowledging to, harm right yeah i have to check cause. myself too because like you know, you're getting this platform all of a sudden where it's like cool to be Asian and and everyone's sticking up for you. And it's like easy to like get on your high horse like you've done no wrong. And because mm-hmm. like, you know, you you get this like platform kind of where it's like, you know, when all the spotlights when the, on you. Yeah. The salon shooting happened. I had so many text messages from people like, mm-hmm. you know, like thinking about you and all of this stuff in it and I, you know, I appreciated that, but like, it, it can go to a point where like people are like looking to you and then you have this, mm. but you do still have to stay humble because, um, I have done imperfect things and I think all of us have. And I, I just wish that she would have shared that journey because it would have made it so much more meaningful. It would have helped white people have like a, path kind of because I feel Mm. like when I share things I share 
how the veil slowly mm. started, you know, coming off and like, oh, this this like connected and then this mm. dot connected and then it's like oh I get it like I get like why anti-racism work exists now and because of that like I've been able to communicate with my parents who were very like not anti-racist like mm-hmm. they they definitely were falling into white saviorism and like I remember at church one time when we were there they were like oh all the parents who have done the godly you know stuff of uh adopting like a child like you just have like a servant's heart and I like looked at my parents I was like don't you dare like (laughs) you wanted me (laughs) and just Mm. like anybody else trying Mm. for babies so don't act like you're on some like you know I was on a sacrifice for you like yeah because I was like that's making me like inhuman like Mm. me and my brother like my brother's white but it's the same thing. But anyways, like I've been able to have these conversations with them because I can say like, I get where your viewpoint is now. Cause I was also at a, but mm. like here let's progress to step B together. Like I might be further down the line at a different step, but I can take them on that journey of like understanding things through my lens. And I think Taylor had a great opportunity to do yeah. that growing up in a white society And it's just very unfortunate that she didn't. And I feel, and I want to address that. I'm sorry for any hurt that that caused people in um, listening to that, that trusted her and that we can't look at anybody as perfect in this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I I was, I know she had talked about that she was going to put a podcast episode out um, like right after everything came to the surface and I was hoping that that episode would like break down a lot of that. And, you know, obviously like I'm still very hopeful that we will see that because she has been such a um, resource, incredible resource in Mm -hmm. so many ways. I know for myself and for a lot of other people um, that, yeah, the hurt um, that there, yeah, the hope, the, the hurt, and then the hope that, yep, I hope that this comes because it would be so incredibly impactful. And just like how Becca was saying, so grateful for your vulnerability to be able to share all this and have, I'm sure, so many of our listeners, like you were saying, be just be able to relate to your experience and pause and like hear this. Um, and I think that's would be a, a really powerful opportunity with Taylor as well. So definitely hoping that that's something that yeah same yeah but well regardless i really appreciate you yeah being open to Mm -hmm. being uh not only a listening ear and a great friend to people but also willing to put yourself out there in order to you know help educate and help share with people so that they can progress in their own journey to doing the work the work (laughs) (laughs) so i mean thank you so much for coming on thank you so much i love you and i'm sure people will love you too after listening to this Mm -hmm. absolutely i appreciate it (laughs) do you want to share any resources or where to find you or anything like that yeah i guess if you know i love connecting with other people who have the same you know, story or, or need help unpacking this and just talking and being a friend. So I guess, I don't know. Should you, I share my Instagram? Yeah, go for it. If you're comfortable doing that, we'd love oh, to have it. Do you get hate mail from here? <laughs> mm, usually only in our comment section. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's at Kaylee Sisson. So it's K-A-I-L-E-E-S-I-S-S-O-N. But um, yeah, I love connecting people and, and I've had people actually share their stories with me mm-hmm. after I was getting more verbal on on social and stuff. And I've been able to connect friends, you know, together that have had similar stories and whatnot. So happy to do that. Not that I'm an influencer or anything of that nature, but. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Kaylee. We so appreciate it. And um, we'll chat soon, broads. Chat soon. 